Each new challenge also provides a new opportunity for us to reinvent the industry and reconsider ways in which we've done things in the past. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate each and every day. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today's guest is Jay Olshansky. Jay has been the President and Chief Executive Officer of NAI Global since December of 2012, when C3 Capital Partners acquired NAI Global. Jay is responsible for all the operations of NAI Global, as well as an active leader in the NAI Global Capital Markets Group, which focuses on the disposition of individual assets, notes, and portfolio sales in a number of property sectors, including office, industrial, retail, and hotel. NAI Global is one of the largest commercial real estate firms worldwide and a top five global brand. The firm has consistently generated over $20 billion in annual transaction volume, operates more than 375 offices, manages over 1.15 billion square feet of properties and facilities, and has 6,000 professionals in 41 countries. Welcome to the pod, Jay. Jay, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Where do we find you today? Where Where are you working out of? I am working out of my apartment, in, which is also home in New York City, where our headquarters are. Um, so I'm here today. Okay. Even though our, off, our offices are open, I'm actually working uh, at home today. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well, Jay, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. By way of introduction, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about you know yourself, your background, sort of how long you've been in, at NAI when you got there you saw your path to the to the position and your you know sphere of influence if you will sure uh, I have been in the commercial real estate business uh, for a long time now uh, ever since I got out of college uh, back in 1982 so it's quite a long time that I've been in the commercial real estate business and and spent most of my career in the Washington, Baltimore area, okay. uh, where I m- was from and uh, where my family was born and raised in that area. And then um, back in 2010, my wife and I relocated to New York City. And at that time, I came to work uh, with NAI. And then in 2012, when C3 Capital Partners purchased NAI Global, um, I was made uh, president and CEO. And since then, I guess for the last eight years, uh, that is what I've been doing. And um, I like to say that um, I, I am a broker by background, but even though I've been managing for a long time and running companies for a long time, uh, but that's my sort of long path uh, getting to here. So Great. for the last, last 10 years in New York City and the last eight uh, as president and CEO of NAI Global. Great, great, and and just to uh, kind of give our give our listeners a bit of a you know a bit of a background. You know how how big is NAI? Uh, how many markets are you guys in? Types of product do you guys uh, work with? Well, NAI Global is the largest collection of independently owned and operated 
commercial real estate firms uh, globally. Yep. And we, we operate in 42 different countries. And most of our offices and some of our individual members have more than one office. So we have over 350 offices worldwide. But most of them are in North America and highly concentrated in the United States, you know, which is where most of our business is. We are full-service brokerage from management, leasing, receivership, um, sales, office, retail, industrial. We even have a facilities management area group, uh, financing. You sort of name it around the commercial real estate space, we do it. The one thing that we also do is we do it in major, primary, secondary, tertiary, and then sometimes what I would call even teeny tiny markets all across the, the globe and all across the U.S. Jay, so... Like you said, you've been in the business for a while. You've seen a lot of things. <laughs> um, how are things going today? How do how does this uh, kind of day and age compare to some of the other stuff you've seen in your, uh, you know, past? Well, it, it, the way things are going today is I, I start with they're certainly going better now that we are let's say eight nine months into COVID than we thought we would be doing. So I'd have to first start with things are going much better than we thought okay. they were going to go. But with that said, you know, in all of my decades of commercial real estate, we've never seen anything like this because this is so different because it affects all aspects of life, all aspects of real estate, you know, from literally you can't go get a pizza to people are having trouble paying their multifamily rent, which is never for these reasons, they've never had these problems before. And, you know, we've never had, you know, things like you can't travel and people aren't staying in hotels and, you know, people aren't getting on an airplane. So it's, it's in a certain regard, things are okay. Yeah. But at the same time, we've never ever seen anything like this. So, and, and it's hard to compare it to, you know, things in the past, uh, so I, I'd say the, the, there's a lot of, of optimism, meaning, you know, that there's certainly where we sit with the virus and with vaccines and, you know, where things can go. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of pain out there, whether it's virus pain, financial pain, personal pain, you know, or real estate pain. And, and the question is, how quickly can it recover? Will it will it be quick enough to recover uh, to uh save some things and i'd have to say unfortunately i think the answer to that is no yeah that there'll yeah, be some casualties yeah. yeah yeah and so you know if you rewind back to about a year ago um obviously the industry was was doing really well the market was doing really well i think on 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 so many levels just as kind of a you know reminder of kind of where, where we were um, give us give us a perspective that you had on the industry, kind of you know at uh, at the beginning of 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 this year, and what, why I'm asking that is because I'd like to then contrast the sort of you know how far off uh, that that is com compared to where where you thought in you know December of last year or January of this year, you know how things would be would be going. Well, you know, that's a really good question, and and I've given a lot of thought to that question in a certain regard. With and and so, coming into next, coming into the beginning of the year, um, certainly for January and February, everyone was pretty optimistic that you know supply and demand was in balance, interest rates were low, unemployment was really low. Yeah, um, you know, there were lots of let's say positive things on the horizon 
with at the same time, you know, we were coming out of, let's say, eight years of run up and from the 2009 2010 financial crisis so certainly there was some hesitancy from the point of view that you kind of knew okay things have been good for a while now you know vacancy rates unemployment job growth you know even income levels all the all the sort of major sort of things that you would look to as where we were going you know certainly we knew that there were maybe too many hotels, maybe, you know, there was already some bad retail. So, you know, you had some warning signs on the horizon. Yeah, you know, you yeah. certainly could say, you know, even, um, you know, uh, the WeWork and shared space phenomenon, there was some uncertainty. But then come, let's call it March 1, the world didn't go off a cliff. It went from outer space to the ground and one you know 15 day period and no one was expecting that and no one was expecting that it would be shut down or health related or that you know so in a certain regard coming into the year um i think people were pretty optimistic people were still traveling people were still vacationing people were business and conferences you know, all those things were all green lights. And, and so that's the most shocking thing. That yeah. It was such a such a you know fall so quickly, you know, even though you could have said, look, bad, there were some bad retail, bad hotels coming into this, but, um, you know, not nearly to the scale we have now, unfortunately. Yeah. And then sort of year over year, uh, you know, we obviously had a big dip, you know, Q2 and Q3. You know, there's been some recovery, right? Um you know, in, in, in certain areas, um, you know, how does sort of the end of this year compare then to kind of where, you know, we were all hoping this year would end up earlier, you know, from, from the beginning of this year? It really depends where and whom you're talking to. Right. Um, you know, in, in general, you know, sort of, as I said in the beginning, you know, that we are surprised how resi- resilient and how well things have kind of held up in general but then when you look at it you know behind the curtain a little deeper you know and you look at places like new york city or san francisco or central or south america if you broaden it out you know and even things are a lot worse but then some of that's counterbalanced by if you look at utah you look at nevada you look at arizona some things are a lot better because of and even Texas, I would say, right. because there's been migration or South Florida, there's been some migration or urban to suburban things are a lot better. So so it's hard to say, you know, is it absolutely a death sentence for some people? Yeah, it has been. But at the same time, people pivoted, people adapted and people have done much better. And certainly in commercial real estate you know, thank God for the Amazon, what I call the Amazon industrial effect that, yeah. you know, just, yeah. if we didn't have, if we didn't have Am- the Amazon effect or the delivery effect and the uh, industrial effect that we're having, uh, I mean, that's sort of like the only product type that's really held up extremely year on year better, yeah. Yeah. you know, so, so, so that's, that's a little frustrating. And, j- and the other thing is, uh, you know, and activity levels are just off. So a lot of the um, people that have been doing better, some of it was not through increased activity, it was through increased savings on expenses, increase, you know, no travel. So depending on 
again, what your type of work is, it's very hard to say where that all sort of shakes. Yeah, the uh, Amazon industrial sort of, you know, phenomenon could be probably linked to, you know, the Amazon industrial complex, I guess, similar to the military industrial complex that we had in the 50s and 60s, right? This will kind of drive the economy in certain ways. Um, and because of that, we've seen the industrial market perform extraordinarily well, um, I think, across the board in the in the country, right? multifamily to a certain degree, life science also, right? What how how do you what's what's your sort of perspective on on some of the food groups, right, in the in the commercial real estate space? Are are you seeing similar stuff also? Well, yes, but again, it this this again becomes very localized again. Right. You know, right. It, it's it's so, you know, if if you look at Seattle, I'm sorry, not so much Seattle, but you look at San Francisco, you know, certainly the urban flight and the amount of sublet space and the amount of people that have moved out, you know, and even the people that have moved out of their apartments in a certain regard, that's been devastating yeah. and that's been devastating in New York, but then Northern New Jersey, you know, let's say the suburbs of San Francisco uh, and other places have, have, you know, done okay. And apartments have held yeah, up. Yeah. Uh, but in, but the, the other thing we can't ignore in the apartments holding up is that, you, you got to remember the federal government put a ton of money into the system. I guess it was in the June time period yep. that really, and then, you know, at just about every jurisdiction, certainly on multifamily, you know, had eviction moratoriums where you couldn't evict people. So, and, you know, and yes, they just passed, hopefully today, it'll be fully done a new round of, uh, you know, funding for all of these different things. But the question comes in still, you know, is that, if you don't have a job and yeah. you're six months behind in yeah. your rent and maybe you can't get evicted, so maybe you got another two months or three months, you still owe all that money on right. your rent. Right. So it, it so multifamily will see some hits in this, but you also have to remember it depends where, you know, like if you're in Texas, which there's been a lot of job growth and migration, it might not be as severe as let's say you know, right close to San Francisco, New York, yeah. or even even Chicago. I read an article recently that Chicago is the, like the lowest, you know, the rents have dropped to the lowest it's been in 10 years. So it, it really, again, depends where you are. And, you know, I live in New York City and, you know, the, and there's a woman that owns a small property management company that actually lives in my apartment building, you know, and she mainly handles smaller apartments in the New York, you know, metropolitan area. And, you know, she's saying that up to 50% of her people just aren't paying rent wow. and she can't evict them. So it, it really depends where it is yeah. more, it, more than it. But in general, and in, in general, I think it's, you know, there'll be some pain in the C and B apartments. And keep in mind, there's a whole bunch of A apartments that have been built over the yeah. last couple of years. So if they're vacant, you know, and they're coming online, they're going to have to drop rents or, you know, things like that to attract tenants. So it's it's not a great scenario right now. Um, but, you know, look, it, it too will just need some time. Yeah. Well, and and I don't want to sort of, you know, dwell on the negative. I think there's a there's enough yeah. stories out there about that. Um, the other day when you and I connected um, and kind of, you know, spoke about this, you know, podcast, one of the things that you said was, you know, this too shall pass. And I'd, I'd love for you to kind of, you know, repeat that sentiment and sort of the, 
you know, what what is the sort of cause of optimism um, that you know you you see, and sort of how does how does that you know compare to some of your the other things that you've seen over over the over the years? Well, it, you know, it, it, if you just if, if we start with the comment that this too will pass, and you look back historically, and especially in whether it's in life or real estate or things like that. You know, I've been around long enough to remember, you know, the savings and loan crisis, and there was way too much office space in 1991, 1990, that time period. Yeah. And people were losing buildings left and right. And, they, you, it, you know, back then you had the RTC that took back buildings on behalf of the savings and loan, defaulted savings and loans. And people kept saying, oh, we'll never need another office building as long as we live because we've got way too many office buildings. And, you know, guess what? Come 1995, things were correcting, things were getting better. And that then became the ramp up to, you know, the technology emergence that really came out, you know, in the latter 90s and the early 2000s. You know, and again, then it crashed and then it crashed and the tech wreck. And people said, oh, my God, San Francisco will never recover, you know, ever. And, And then guess what? It recovered and came out just fine. And then, of course, you let's let's bring it really forward to the most recent one, which is 2009. You know, in a certain regard, 2009 was pretty painful until we got to today. And you know, at that time, we, you know, we were losing six, seven hundred thousand people a, a month in job loss. Now, keep in mind, we lost like twenty million, and we've captured some. Yeah. In, in the first six months of this. Uh, and, you know, people were, of course, saying, oh, you know, this is, you know, this is terrible. It's going to take forever. No one's got a job. And, and it took about two years. It took about two, two and a half years. And then people started buying buildings. People started expanding. People started. And then we led into a huge run up to, you know, where we are to today. And the only difference with this one, and I do believe this too will pass. I mean, look, the only other time. I guess in history that we've had a health thing like this is all before any of us were alive in, you know, 1918. I actually lost my, my, I I had a grandmother that died in 1918. I never met her obviously, but uh, you know, so, you know, things pass and people, you know, obviously I was, you know, my mother was two years old when my grandmother was lost in, uh, you know, 1918 and obviously things moved on. So this is, you know, and, and keep in mind, we are. We have a vaccine. We're nine months into it. We now have a vaccine. You know, we have two vaccines actually. So, you know, it's going to take a little bit more time. And yes, there will be a whole lot of damage done. But you know, uh, people in general, and I would say Americans in general too, they have a way of figuring things out. You know, from the darkest times, they can kind of they they're pretty good at surviving and pretty good at you know, of pivoting or transitioning their business. So, you know, whether it's going to be 12 months before we get back to 40% or 50% or it's 24 months before we get back to everyone's on an airplane again or something like that. Yeah, it's going to take some time, but I'll guarantee you there will be a time where we will all be on airplanes again. We'll all be taking vacations and staying in nice hotels again. There'll be plenty of business travel, you know, uh, places like Las Vegas and yeah, Disney. Yeah. will be back and humping and doing great, you know, and really, you know, taking off again. New York City, San Francisco will get their tourism numbers back like they, you know, have been. 
you know, people will be allowed to go to Paris and to London and right. Italy right. again. Right. And, 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 you know, and so it, it, and people will have memory. Yes. Will people be more careful? Sure. Will there be fundamental changes just out of, after 9-11 on airplanes? Yes. Yeah. Will we yeah. be, will certain people be wearing masks all the time? Yeah. At some level, I think people might, you know, not because they figure better safe than sorry. Uh, will we need more therapeutics and vaccines and all that? Probably. But, I, but things will change, you know, and life goes on and it always does. And, uh, you know, and there'll be a, a lot of money lost in this pandemic in real estate. And there will be a lot of money made coming yeah. out of this pandemic. Yeah. Because keep in mind, even in 2009, the amount of money sitting on the sidelines right now, ready to come back in to invest in commercial real estate at a discount is enormous. It's probably the highest it's been ever with the amount of money, because there was already a lot of money sitting on the sidelines pre-COVID. Yes. So yeah. now there's even more money on the sidelines. And that will solve this problem. Keep in mind, the money, the private money will solve the problem and people will come back in, whether it's on the debt side, whether it's on the equity side, whether it's on the ownership side, you know, the private money at some number comes back in and buys real estate yeah. and comes up with a new five, 10 or longer plan. Yeah. As you as you sort of look throughout the industry and kind of uh, you know across the country, wh what are some you know trends that you have identified that have emerged or are emerging, or even trends that were you know beginning to kind of you know emerge at the end of last year, but have been now accelerated with uh, with this new situation? Well, the biggest one is work at home, right? That's by far the biggest trend that has fully accelerated due to this. You know, there were. Uh, there, there's always been, let's call it, whether it's telecommuting or whether it's been hoteling or even some firms that were allowing people to work remotely or work from home. There, it, that is, that went from basically, I don't know, I don't know what the numbers are, but it went to 95%, yeah. except for essential yeah. workers. You know, everyone that ha that still had a job that, you know, was able to work was working at home. And so when I think about that, that is really due to technology, uh, hands down, no ifs, no buts, ands, no buts. It's 100% technology where, you know, and certainly things like Zoom or GoToMeeting and other, you know, online, even like how we communicate via iPhone and stuff like that, you know, without all these. And also you could say broadband and certainly access to Internet and things like that. You, you know, that's in my mind the number one thing that changed. Now, at the same time, that could create some opportunities and some problems for commercial real estate. Sure. So, you know, if we think about the opportunities, let's stay on the opportunity side. The opportunity side is, well, maybe we need more offices and more shared spaces and more apartments closer to where people want to live. So that's one good side. Or, you know, maybe instead of a company having company headquarters in downtown San Francisco or downtown New York City, maybe they have three locations within a geography, maybe that will be a short-term change that comes out of this where, you know, it, the car environment, at least for the short term, might be the safer environment or perceived safer environment for people to go to an office or let's say return to an office. Now, at the same time, there will be some companies that will say, you know what, I can't 
operate my business without having my people come to the office. Right. And right. so I'm going to have to figure this out and get them back to my office, whether it's headquarter offices, satellite offices, whatever. And then there'll be other companies. And, you know, there was a, a good article, I think it was in Bloomberg, um, actually today or this week about how a lot of CFOs are kind of out there saying, well, wait a second, you know, we kind of can operate with (laughs) nobody going into the office. Right. So, you know, if we can reduce our real estate footprint, which can be a very high ticket item, you know, in a corporate um, uh, expense stack. Right. Right. And our people are productive, then maybe we should, continue this for a little bit longer um, now again keep in mind like we said this too will pass there will be a time where we will look back and we'll, people will be going to offices and, and people will be doing things you know just like they were before and you know it will the, the need for interaction with people i think becomes more important to productivity, to culture, to just human existence. Yeah, and more meaningful as well, right? Exactly, more meaningful interactions, et cetera. So yes, I I do believe that that will happen. So that's sort of the positive. The real question is the negative side is what damage is going to get done in between there? And how long will that be? The longer that runway is, yeah. or the the more damage. And in a certain regard, um, you know, that becomes the question. It, you know, back to what we've been discussing. If you had a a, bat, a hotel that was struggling and a retail that was struggling coming into this, guess what? It, that could be a long road unless there's a reuse for either of those two things until we get back to. If you had a business travel hotel. And there's no tourism or no weekends going into it. Boy, that's a real that, tough yeah. scenario for yeah. me to model out how that gets better quickly. Are you thinking that long-term leases might be a thing of the past? Or do you think uh, more people will kind of rely on shorter-term leases? H- how how do you think that might play itself out? Uh, I, I think there's sort of two schools of thought on this. Keep in mind, coming into... Uh, even pre-COVID, you know, we had the FASB changes as far as how firms could, uh, let's say, account for their lease obligations sure. yeah. on their financial financials and balance sheet. So we already had a movement towards shorter term leases uh, from the point of view of it. It made more sense financially, especially if you were, you know, a um, uh, somebody of a lot of locations and, you you know, as far as capitalization versus expense and things like that. So we already had a movement towards shorter. There's certain businesses that can't operate in shorter. You know, think of like a fast food restaurant. Yeah. They really can't operate on a year to year lease. You know, it just doesn't make sense from a location point of view. It doesn't make sense from an investment point of view. And there's certainly, you know, specialized buildings that makes no sense when you have a lot of capital improvements being put into the building or the tenant space. You know, think of like, you know, what Amazon or other logis- Target or what other logistic companies put into some of these warehouses. They can't do that on a one-year deal. Yeah, right. So, so right. when when you when you exclude some of those things out, and then and you're predominantly talking about office space, well, in a certain regard, you can make a pretty good argument that flexibility in leases is probably going to be more important than term of lease, because as we've just seen. You know, the world changed 
in 14 days, basically, uh, as far as it relates to office space and who's going to office space. So, you know, in a, in, at the same time, there's an abundance of good short-term office space on the sublet market, and right. most landlords are willing to also do short-term deals. And then if you overlay that with, you know, people, you know, like most CFOs saying, let's reduce my footprint, well, at some level, one of the ways to reduce footprint is to, if you've got five years left on a lease, is to sublet it out for five years. So I think you will start seeing people taking shorter leases for all of those reasons. And I think that could be a trend that's here. And, and certainly, there was also something before this that was happening. There, there were people using co-working spaces, yep. you know, for, for and so, you know, and, and people always say, oh, co-working is dead and all that. Well, I don't know if it's dead. I think it's going to shift. And I think it's obviously going to get smaller and the business model has to make more sense and it can't be run on a business model that they're tech companies, uh, you know, and that's what their difference is uh, because it that you know the bad it covid proved that to be completely wrong and that was kind of proven wrong before covid even started you know with the co-working but maybe that's you know at some level maybe that's the answer maybe having um you know but again anything specialized no anything specialized or anything where you're committed to an area for the long term um plus i think there's going to be some excellent deals to be had if yes. you can commit to longer <laughs> right. term Right. And at some level, you know, if you go, okay, well, I'm going to be in New York City for the next 10 years, whether I have 100% occupancy or 50% occupancy in my new headquarters space or my new space, you know, at some level, you know, then uh, you could probably make a hell of a deal right now and you know, anchor a building or anchor a space and yeah. have that yeah. be home for you. Yeah. Are you are you noticing already the end users kind of thinking about how the office utilization might evolve for them? Um I believe there was an announcement that WPP, if I'm not mistaken, reduced their office space. I think this was announced yesterday. Fifty um, percent, yeah, fifty percent, yeah. right? I mean, um, Morgan Stanley kind of made that big pronouncement earlier in the year that they're going to, you know, make this, you know, flexible use of space kind of part of their long-term yep. strategy. Um, those are two anecdotes, but from other things that you're seeing, um, how are people thinking about that now? Well, I, I think you mentioning those two, and there are many, many more. You could go to San Francisco and say Twitter, yes. you know, making yep. a decision nobody ever has to come back to the office. Well, at some level, and I don't remember exactly how many square feet Twitter has in, on market, but they have a lot. Yeah. And you know, at some and so so you know, then all of a sudden, if that's lease space, if the lease is coming up, guess what? The lease is going to expire. If it's if it's leased on a longer term basis, it's going to hit the sublet market. Yeah. So yeah. you kind of have some perfect storms rumbling, and and then uh, add on top of that whether it's uh, Oracle or whether it's Goldman Sachs or whether it's you know some other firms saying, well, we're thinking about leaving New York or Silicon Valley and moving to tax-free states like Texas or Florida because of not only the tax-free element, but also the employment element and the cost of living and all those different things. Um, and keep in mind, real estate in Austin, Texas, for Oracle, is a lot less expensive than real estate in Silicon Valley. Sure. For sake of art, sure. And and so you you start looking at all these things, and then you start saying like, absolutely. And and look, you know what's the old saying? 
all business in a certain regard is sort of a herd mentality, sort of what I call the Burger King McDonald's example. You know, they're kind of similar and they follow each other a little bit. So if JP says it's okay, then Goldman does it, then it's probably good for all the other financial yeah. firms. Yeah. So if, if Oracle can move to Texas, well, why can't I move to Texas if I'm a Texas? tech company, right. you know, in, right. uh, and, and we're seeing that already. So what, what's going to happen is you're going to have voids that'll be created, you know, like at some level, the space left behind has to get filled, whether it's owned by the company or the ownership or the debt holder or whatever. Now, keep in mind, again, I go back to this two will pass. I, I think Silicon Valley will be just fine. I think New York City will be just fine. I think downtown San Francisco will be just fine. I even think downtown Chicago will be just fine. It's just a question of it because people want to live and work in environments that are more active. And at some level, you know, and I know you live in Seattle, but you know, the traffic component that's going to happen with all of these migrations you know, that the suburban urban areas are going to become, I mean, and I, I mean, I've spent plenty of time in the New York tri-state area, you know, traffic's a major concern, Los yeah. Angeles, yeah. traffic's a major concern. Yeah. So, you know, at some level, you know, I mean, yesterday I went to our office and it's a three mile walk, but guess what? I could walk it. I didn't have to take a bus, a subway, a car, or an Uber or right. a train, right. you know, for safety purposes. Now, it was a nicer, cool day, a colder day. But so in a certain regard, I think things like that will swing and then they will swing back yeah. and there'll be incentives for people, be, you know, because, you know, there's a, and you also have major investments in a lot of these areas when you think of what's invested by companies and down, you know, like think of Salesforce Tower, Salesforce and stuff like that. Think of Google in New York City. Yeah. You know, these are or even Amazon in Washington, D.C. or Amazon, you know, in up here in New York, the, in Facebook here in New York. They've got major commitments here and people are, you know, that means they have to get their employees back here, too. So it, it's. It, it, it's just time. Yeah. Keep in mind, going into this, this was not a conversation. We didn't have this conversation about these major users. You know, some of them were going to Florida and Texas for tax reasons and stuff like that. But this got accelerated. Another thing that we talked about has uh, this has accelerated to, uh, you know, 100 and 200 miles an hour sure. you know, from probably 20. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Jay, one of the things that you're probably looking at is, you know, how do you guys attract talent to your industry, to your company? Um, in the last recession, during the sort of, you know, great financial crisis, there was quite a bit of people, young people especially, that either left the industry or, you know, were let go and never came back. Um, I almost think about it as sort of a lost generation over the last decade that maybe was starting to kind of come back maybe in the last sort of four or five years, I would argue. Do you feel that that this might also push a lot of interest out and that, you know, the younger generation may uh, not be able to enter the industry in, you know, numbers that they did in the past? Uh, yes and no. And so let's go back to 2009. In 2009, obviously, when the financial crisis hit, you know, it, it really started as a Wall Street financial crisis. Yeah. If you think about it. So all of those firms and, you know, firms like Bear Stearns and Lehman and things like that, you know, obviously, if you were a, let's say, um, college grad or MBA grad looking to go to traditional route of Wall Street, whether it's Wall Street in New York or Wall Street in San Francisco or other places, yeah. 
all of a sudden there's no job. You know, you're, you're graduating in 2009 and you might, and there are a lot of people that actually had jobs and they were then deferred and then they were yep. canceled. Yep. You know, it, it, we'd go back in memory. So in a certain regard, all of those people had to pivot and, you know, and a lot of them were coming out of school with, you know, unfortunately a high level of student loan debt that they had to also deal with. Not all, but high percentage. And so they pivoted. And and then if you really think about it, if you look at Silicon Valley, you look at San Francisco, they were huge beneficiary of the talent that was pushed from, let's say, Wall Street, you know, out to other areas because you couldn't go to Lehman Brothers because there was no Lehman Brothers. So you had to figure something else out. So I think there's going to be some of that. And and that's what's going to happen this time. So the other thing that's happening now is that in commercial real estate, you have what I like to say the big six public firms, CBRE, JLL, Cushman and Wakefield, you know, Colliers and Newmark, big five, I'm sorry. And, you know, these are big publicly traded firms and each one of them through their public announcements has said they're going to have to reduce cost due to reduced activity levels in commercial real estate. And when you, and, and that's a nice way of saying we're going to have to unfortunately have some people go bye-bye, you know, when they say we're going to sure. have to reduce yeah. costs because yeah. <laughs> it's not just closing an office or not buying pencils. Right. You know, it's, it's <laughs> we, really... we all know what that means, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So you, what you're, you're already seeing a shift where certain, let's say people in commercial real estate are already changing because of changes that they had no control over just due to the economic fallout of what's happened in the first eight months. So in a certain regard, we are working hard with all of our offices to try to attract that talent, whether it's the 22-year-old or whether it's the 65-year-old, doesn't really matter, to our firm, firms and offices so they can, you know, continue in their careers and do what they're doing. And the fact that we are a collection of independently owned and operated firms, some people actually like that because in a certain regard, where the local offices are not at the whims of the public stock market. Right. Not to say right. that, look, I'd, lo- I'd love to be CBRE, don't get me wrong, it's a completely different model. Uh, but you know, in a certain regard, it, it, there's a place and time. So we're already seeing a migration shift in a little bit there. We're also seeing a good aspect coming out of our current environment of, you know, there's a lot more attention to diversity. There's a lot more attention to different things that's going on in social and different things from the environment we've been living in in the last two, three years. And some of the protests and some of the good things coming out of the protests are there's a better attention to entry-level jobs or all types of jobs coming into an organization. So in a certain regard, you know, there's there, there's a couple of things that are happening that came out of negative things, but are going to probably end up being very positive. You know, at the same time, it's always been an industry that, in a, you know, you have the aspect of good people and are, as I like to say, good, smart people with a burning desire to do well. And they don't necessarily have to have college, but most of them do these days. And so if you're thinking about not going to college and you're listening to this, go to college, uh, <laughs> you still need it. Right. But, you know, it's not it's not a prerequisite, um, you know, to come into the industry. Yeah. So I think yeah. that we're going to see a lot of that. Now, 
the other negative to that is that some of the companies are struggling. Some of the companies don't have the hiring. Some of the companies don't have the, you know, the overhead to support that. Um, but so it's going to be a little bit of a mixed bag. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, the stronger companies will try to ramp up and hire good experienced people and good entry level people during this time period. And I think that's at all levels. Yeah. 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 So, uh, during a time of challenge, um, we could also, you know, be innovating and sort of creating new things and new services and new products. How is the NAI in this time, you know, preparing for the, for the next cycle? How are you thinking about, you know, evolving, your business to, you know, be better, bigger, you know, execute uh, better with your clients in the, in the next cycle? Well, a couple things. Uh, we were, you know, we really had a dramatic growth and were kind of born out of the 2009 financial crisis. So we fortunately, and I guess you would say, unfortunately, depending on whom you're talking to, have a vast amount of experience in all of our offices handling distressed assets. So we have already pivoted a lot of our marketing, our advertisements, our people, our direct contact to the people that we believe will end up with assets that need to be received, managed, leased, foreclosed upon, sold, you know, whether it's a note sale, whether it's a traditional CMBS uh, servicer, So we have a vast amount of experience doing that. We have a full capital markets division that we're, you know, getting out there more and more where, you know, we can handle, you know, in 2013, we did well over 300 properties that we received, managed, leased and sold on behalf of just one special servicer. So if we, you know, we have the ability and and the other thing we have is that we have every market. So we're not just in New York or San Francisco. We're actually in Topeka, Kansas. We're actually in, you know. Uh, in uh, Stockton, you know, we're in, you know, Toronto, but we're not necessarily, you know, the biggest player. So we're all over the place. So, so if someone calls me and says, well, I got 40 assets and, you know, candidly, they're not all, um, you know, Market Street or on Fifth Avenue, I go great because candidly, that's not a problem for me and I can help you on all those assets. So, so we're geared up that way. The other thing that we're doing is that the work at home phenomenon has started what I would call an independent brokerage aspect of, and this has been happening in residential for a long time. Uh, but, you know, in a certain regard, we're also gearing towards if an individual wants to come to work for NAI Global, you know, where we don't have a traditional firm, we actually have a new system that's called NAI Global Unlimited, and we're able to absorb the individual to come work for us, uh, very similar to what some of the residential firms do. So if they want to work at home, they want to work on their own, or they want to have their own brand within a brand, we're also setting that up. So, okay. we, you know, we think that could be the future of, yeah. you know, how commercial real estate state is also potentially uh, so sort of a hybrid between our traditional firms and our individuals. Are you considering new services? Do you feel like the brokerage, like what the, you know, the role of a broker is also evolving? Are you kind of thinking about that as well and how, how to meet those demands in the future? Yeah, we are. We are. It's, I wouldn't say they're new services, but I'd say there's sure. more focus yeah. on them. So one would be, you know, we've been kind of in this business for a while, but, you know, helping wireless companies and also helping owners that have wireless facilities on their buildings or on their land or et cetera. Uh, so we have something called NA Global Wireless, where, you know, it's a specialization in 
you know, cell towers, all the different things, yeah. things like that. That's one example. We're also beefing up because of demographic aspects are assisted in senior living and nursing home level. And that is basically looking at that space and saying, one, it's a very fragmented space in the brokerage world. And two, since we have na- we have some expertise in certain areas, but we have national coverage, you know, we can kind of match up the people that have the expertise with the local real estate. And we believe that's a huge demographics play just from the point of view, you know, that I don't forget the number, but I think it's 10,000 a day, people turning 65 years yeah, or older. Right. And yet, yeah. yes, we're healthier and all that, but there's going to be ongoing needs yeah. for, you know, because people are living longer. So we're doing, you know, those are some two areas. And certainly, um, you know, all uses of technology to a streamline transaction management, uh, the investment sales process, we're using all of those different aspects because you know we can envision a day where yes people will certainly be part of the process always and brokers will have a role always but the broker role is shifting so yeah. we're trying to yeah. really stay on top of what what I'd call the technological aspects of instead of putting our hand in the, head in the sand and saying oh it's not going to happen no it's going to happen and we just need to be part of that process we don't need to own the process we just need to be making sure uh, that we're using all of the best tools that are available, and some of them are our leading edge. And yeah. just the, the hardest part is trying to determine what's leading versus burning, you know, which is no different than any techno- technology. I'd like to close the interview with kind of a question of, of you know, hope. <laughs> uh, with everything going on, uh, Jay, what what gives you hope? Two things give me hope. Um, you know, one. As bad as the virus has been, and as as much damage as it has caused, it is very quickly, and we've determined very quickly that one, people can adapt, companies can adapt, commercial real estate firms and owners can adapt, and so that gives me a lot of hope in our industry, and you know certainly. There will be some losers, as we've discussed, but there's going to be a ton of winners that are going to buy properties at yeah. 50 cents on a dollar, have a new good plan, and then sell them for 110% of what they paid or something like that. So there'll be great winners in this. The other thing that gives me hope is you know, the aspect of, as, and it's, yes, we're well over 300,000 you know, unfortunate souls who have passed, yeah. but it seems like we were able to very quickly and painfully get the health aspect of the virus, you know, under control. Um, you know, I, I'm very optimistic that, you know, I think, you know, the, the Christmas season and certainly January, maybe even February could be some really rough sledding, you know, from the point of view, it's going to be cold. It's going to be dark. People are going to be sick. Hospitals are going to be overrun because they are. But the other side to it is, you know, in a certain regard, if you can, a lot of people have hunkered down for eight months. So what's another three until you can get that needle in your arm and then hopefully things go on. So that gives me a lot of optimism. Plus the other thing you're going to see, and I always, and I always find this interesting, you're going to have a ton of babies that are going to be born come (laughs) January to June of next year because of, and there's nothing like new life right. and you know that you know, life goes on yeah and you know we've 
gone on, you know, through lots of bad things, maybe nothing in our lifetime like this. Yeah. Um, but we're pretty resilient. So that gives me a, that gives me a lot of hope and optimism. And I'm, I'm really optimistic for our business. We're, we're planning a, our, our annual conference next September next year, and we're taking the approach unless we can't we will. And if we can, we think that could, you know, we normally get 700 people, 750 people that come to our events. We think we can get double that amount because we know people are pent up. They're dying to get out of their houses. They're dying to get back on an airplane. They're dying to, you know, and as simple as seeing somebody and being able to be safe, whether it's your grandparent, your, your own children, or whether it's your business colleague that you haven't seen since March one. And I think people are just dying to you know, have that interaction again. So we're, we, we're being optimistic that we think this could be the biggest convention we've ever had ever yeah. you know, come next September. Yeah. Well, Jay, we are uh, recording this just a couple of days before Christmas and, you know, right before the holidays. Um, happy holidays to you and your family. Stay safe and uh, be well. You too. Thank you very much. And so glad that we're able to spend some time together today. 